0: The voice of reason, the voice of alarm, the voice of stats, the voice of scouts, the voice of Kool-Aid, the voice of dismay, the voice of Dave O. Man, the analysis on this website stinks. The idiot host said the Royals would win two of three this weekend against the Angels, but in reality, they swept the Angels for the first time in KC since one What a good problem to have. As it's that idiot, Davo. Happy year along for a Sunday afternoon edition of your dish on Clubhouse Conversation. Happy Easter to you and your family, by the way. Hopefully you guys were able to enjoy the nice Sunday afternoon display put on by Ian Kennedy and the Royals sweeping behind the said magnificent starting pitching, both from Kennedy today and all weekend long. We're going to talk all about this series against the Angels, and we're going to preview the two-game set coming up against the Giants over the next 20-20. to 20- 25 minutes here on Your Dish with Clubhouse Conversation. Let's start with the Angels series and starting pitching because that's the story, right? Two combined runs was all that was allowed all weekend long by Royal starting pitching. In fact, the Angels didn't even have their first extra base hit until the fifth inning today when C.J. Crone hit a little... You know, I don't want to call it a chopper, but a little liner that, you know, hustled into second base, got a hustling double in that fifth inning today. So two and a half games for the Angels to get a single extra base hit. And I said coming into the series, if the Royals could hold Mike Trout to one home run or less, I'd take it. Mike Trout got the big goose egg in home runs, didn't really do anything in this series against the Royals. It was very nice. Got on base a few times, but they were just walks and singles. So nothing that hurt the Royals in this series. Now, starting pitching, Ian Kennedy today. Eight innings, no runs, two hits. Ten Ks and two walks for Ian Kennedy. Nate Carnes yesterday. Six innings, one run on four hits with three Ks and two walks, and you go back to Duffy on Friday, Danny threw seven innings of one-run ball with six Ks and two walks. Those are a lot of numbers, so let's just combine it for you. Combined 21 innings from the Royals starting pitching, two runs on nine hits, which is an ERA, by the way, of 0.86, and the Royals had 19 Ks and six walks in those 21 innings. So, a 0.86 ERA and 21 innings with 19 Ks Where do I sign up for that? Amazing job by the Royals. And let's begin with Friday night when we break down this series here. The Angels got their lone run against Duffy in that first inning. And the main reason they only got one, and I'm sure you remember this as well, and in my opinion, the biggest play of this entire series, there were two big ones, gigantic ones. The first one, but to me the biggest one of the entire series was the Royals were sitting at 3-6. and six. Three wins, six losses. Coming off a disappointing two out of three against the Athletics. The first three Angels get on base against your ace. You're thinking, oh, no. Mike Trout with the single puts the Angels up one nothing. but then trying to go to third base is Cole Calhoun. He is gunned down by Lorenzo Cain. And that was absolutely huge. The first out of the inning, most certainly, if he gets into third base there, he probably scores on a sack fly, a hit, something, the whole dynamic of the inning changes. You're probably looking at a 2 nothing deficit, even if he stops at second. That's still first and second, nobody out. Angels up one nothing. Everything could have been different. The momentum just swung big time. Instead of first and second, nobody out, or first and third, nobody out, you had to run it first with one out. And Duffy then got Albert Pujols to fly to left, Jeffrey Marte to strike out looking. And for a 3-6 and six ball club, at least the psyche for the fans. I'm sure there was some of that in the dugout, too. That's a momentum play, and momentum does exist in baseball. Don't tell you know, a lot of sabermaticians that, but it does exist in baseball, and, and that was a huge play in the game. Kind of just you know getting a, a weight off of you and thinking, maybe, okay, okay, we got a break now. Our defense is back. Okay, it's not bad. We we're only we're give up one. You don't want to be down two or three runs in the first inning of a 3-6 and six team going against game one of the series. So that was giant for the Royals, and, of course, they come right back you know, with the home run from Moose and go right back ahead 2-1 before you can even blink. And we talked about that, how the Royals did that time and time again last year. We saw it a couple times in the last week before this. So some signs that things are starting to come back together uh, with that. The Royals come right back and respond on Friday night. So JC Ramirez did not pitch well as expected, as we thought. It was essentially a bullpen game, and the Royals were able to take advantage. There was also some other great plays with defense all weekend long, but I thought Friday was the main night. You saw four or five plus-plus plays out there on defense Friday night. And like I said, the home run from you had one from Salvi and helped propel the Royals to third in home runs as a team coming into today's game. So the Royals, the best team ERA for starting pitchers, third most home runs coming into today. We won't talk about the bullpen. Yeah, we will talk about it right now, actually. Peter Moylan pitched the final two innings on Friday, which I thought was borderline questionable. You're up 6-1. You score a run there in the bottom of the eighth. to go up 7-1. Made him unavailable yesterday in a game where you could have potentially used him. You had to use Soria for two innings, and thankfully Joaquin bailed you out of a very difficult situation. That was the second biggest play-slash-situation of the weekend. More on that in a second. But arguably you could have run in Moylan You know, yesterday had he only pitched one inning on Friday night. So, you know, just a small thing. No huge deal, but something to think about and something to look at there. The Royals won, though, didn't matter. and They won last night, didn't matter as well, thanks to Nate Carnes. Six strong innings for Nate Carnes, allowing just one run on four hits. Carnes strikes out three and walks two, and I thought one of the walks, the one to Trout, Trout was out in that situation, and it ended up almost costing the Royals dearly, but Ed Hickox had to me, a very questionable strike zone as I sat there in, in Diamond Club last night. Very, very questionable from Ed Hickox. But, you know, credit the Royals, Nate Carnes, and Joaquin Soria for getting around it. And that's the key moment of the game, that seventh inning. So the inning began with Mike Miner coming into the game. And he has been disappointing, had a 5-plus ERA coming into that contest, but still much better than Travis Wood, who's to me been the biggest disappointment on the entire team. But you go to Miner because you have to pitch these guys, and both were expected to play you know pretty big roles on this team. I, know, I think maybe coming into the season, the idea was to have Miner and Wood be your seventh inning guy. Strom your eighth or sorry that's not true sorry Soria the eighth Strom the seventh and then your sixth inning type guy would have been the wood and and minor and they would have alternated with Strom and Soria those were going to be your went ahead type guys and I think Moylan was kind of more of your mop-up type guy coming into the season with young as your long guy but as it's turned out Moylan's become what third most reliable reliever on this, but he wasn't available. So anyway, you had the point being you had to pitch. You still have to pitch Mike Minor and Travis Wood, and you still hope both can turn things around, especially Travis Wood. Travis Wood to me is one of the biggest wild cards on this team, and it was telling to me that the Royals didn't go to him on Saturday, right? Because he hadn't pitched the night before, and they went to Mike Minor over him last night, and then they stretched out Joaquin Soria for two innings. So that tells you all you need to know about a guy that Ned Yost thought so highly of that he brought in in the seventh inning to help bail out. Peter Matt Strom and Peter Moylan back on opening day in Minnesota. And a guy who came right back out and pitched in game situations his next two appearances after that. But now he's not pitching in game situations uh, this weekend in recent days. So just something to think about. That was kind of I mean, it was a good move by Nick because he's been really bad but it, it was telling to me that the Royals didn't even look towards Travis Wood considering he was ahead of Minor in the depth chart. So you expect more out of Wood based on his last year, what you're paying him what you brought him in for. Minor, of course, is a further of a question mark based on the fact that you know didn't pitch all of last year and basically the year before. So a guy that you don't know what you're gonna get trying to relieve for the first time essentially in his entire career professionally. So anyway, minor comes in, you've got to use him. That's my point in that long rant there. Sorry if I got ADD there on you, but a six point seven five ERA is what he leaves the game with after he allows a single to Cameron Mabin A ball that was essentially a two run homer off the bat of Danny Espinoza most nights that was run down against the fence. I don't know I still don't know how that ball wasn't out. That ball was so loud off the bat, but it was run down thankfully. And then a walk to Martin Maldonado, the number nine hitter, who arguably is one of the worst everyday players in all of the American League as far as offense goes. So that was pretty embarrassing. First and second, one out Ned appropriately goes to Soria. Although, getting back to my point earlier, would have nice to, you know, would have been nice to have had Moylan available in that situation with guys on base. And then you save Soria for the eighth. Didn't matter, but I'm just pointing that out there. I'm, I'm kind of pointing out why I mentioned that earlier. But Soria comes in. Huge strikeout of Yunel Escobar. Huge. Allows a single that ties the game, but you can't expect him to be perfect. But he gets out of it after that. He walks Mike Trout intentionally. That was the right move by Ned. And then full count, bases loaded. The biggest... Play of that game, and the second biggest one of the series to me, you know what happens. Backwards K for Mr. Albert Pujols of one 4 sage High School. And then Joaquin Soria comes back out, throws a scoreless eighth before Moose won it with a home run. Just what a nice job by Joaquin Soria. A perfect 0.00 ERA. And it's not a fluke. I mean, his first outing of the year, if you remember right, Lorenzo Kane Was this his first outing or second outing? Just, wait a minute. Was it the second outing? Anyway, either way. I think it was the second outing. It was, or I think it was the first outing. But the one on that Friday night game against Houston where Kane essentially robbed a triple from George Springer. You know, there was some, there was another ball hit hard on that game as well. A nice play made on defense. But outside of that, there's nothing fluky about what Joaquin Soria has been doing. At all. He looks just like the same old Joaquin. The breaking ball out of his hand, he struggled a bit with a couple of those last night. But Fastball velocity is back. He's throwing at the knees on the corners. Nothing's in the middle of the plate. And that big Bugs Bunny slash slower curve he's throwing is not just sitting flat at the letters and getting hammered just above the belt there. So, I mean, Joaquin Soria, you know, fingers crossed he can keep this up. Knock on wood. Looks phenomenal early on for the Royals. And that's a big development because the Royals were really expecting a lot from Matt Strom. This season, And I still think Strom will play a big role, and I still think for the Royals to win this division, Strom's going to have to come back in and really turn into what he was last year. If not, the Royals are going to at some point need to go make a move and get another relief pitcher, unless a Josh Stomont or a Kyle Zimmer can come up, or maybe even a, a guy like a Brian Flynn, maybe even a guy like Scott Alexander, who's already here, could help stabilize things. I've been very impressed with Alexander, but a guy that I talk about all the time here on The Dish on Clubhouse Conversation is Brian Flynn, and it's too bad he fell through his barn. That's not a joke, he really did, and I'm sure you knew that by now, but if he didn't, fell through his bar and went in the DL. A guy that I hope can be pitching in the next seven to 10 days and get back, possibly as a long guy slash guy that can th- you know come out throwing gas from that left side, big boy, and a guy that got their air for you know for Aaron Crow from the Marlins, and hopefully he can come in and you know play a big part in this bullpen down the road as well because you're going to need some more guys, and especially if if Miner and Wood can't turn things around pretty soon, I mean, man, you're going to have to do something out there. In that bullpen. Thankfully, Alexander looks good. And thankfully, Soria has been good. Herrera, you know, outside of a couple pitches has been phenomenal as well. Now, getting to today, Ian Kennedy, what can you say about this guy? Ten strikeouts in eight shutout innings for Ian Kennedy. Go ahead and have an Easter, Kennedy. Wow. Looks spectacular out there. There was really only one great play made when Kane leaped up against the fence. To rob CJ Crone. Otherwise, I mean, there were really weren't that many balls hit that hard. A couple nice plays by Cuthbert over at third base. I nice had to see him out there. Made a nice pick in particular on one in the, I believe it was third inning, going to his left, throwing out a runner. So, but my point being, there was no luck. There was no smoke and mirrors with Ian Kennedy. Of course, there never is when you strike out 10 and throw eight shutout innings. But yeah, like I mentioned earlier, the first extra base hit of the entire series for the Angels didn't come until the fifth inning today. Yeah, that's that's a heck of a series. The Royals didn't allow them to hit one out of the park, although the game last night, there were certainly four to five balls total, and the Royals had three to four of them that are gone in the months of June, July, or August. Some balls that died right up there at the warning track that were struck hard, and Perez hit that one, as did Pujols, to be fair. Down towards that left field foul pole that were both way gone. Of course, they were foul. But my point being, last night, the ball really, you know, was struck hard. It wasn't carrying. But today, there weren't too many balls that really hit that well. It was great pitching by both sides. Tyler Skaggs threw a really good game as well. And even getting back to last night, I thought Matt Shoemaker impressed. A guy, and coming in, I said the Royals would win two out of three in the series. I thought they'd lose Saturday night. Uh, I knew Shoemaker would pitch well, as he did. I just probably didn't expect Nate Carnes to throw quite as well as he did. That's why I said that the Royals would probably win two out of three. liked Shoemaker to bounce back, as he did, missing lots of bats. Competitor, I like him a lot, and wish him the well going forward for the Angels. Now, offensively, we've talked all about the pitching so far. Offensively, the Royals didn't light the world on fire, obviously, the majority of this series, right? But the approach was night and day better, no doubt about that. The Royals hit the ball great Friday night. You saw them working in the middle of the field towards the opposite way, which we also saw on Thursday night against Oakland. So that's a couple games in a row where they really were having good at-bats, hitting the ball hard with authority up the middle on the other way, and that's something the Royals have to get back to. The days of the Royals stealing bases and, you know, running and gunning on, on the base paths are over now. I mean, you go, you go up and down this lineup, how many guys on the base paths really have good Major League speed? Gordon – Average base runner, Mustakis slightly below average base runner, Kane a borderline good speed. He can still steal some bases. He's not quite what he was, but we'll call. Well, I guess we'll give Kane good speed on the bases. And then you've got Hosmer, average, Perez and Moss below average runners. Solaire will eventually be in, in the lineup and beginning his rehab assignment soon. I imagine we'll see him back here in the next home stand. Below average runner, Escobar going you call him a good runner still? Good speed still? I wouldn't quite say that. Above average, but not good. And Mondesi, of course, phenomenal speed. So you've got basically only about three guys that can steal you a base in this lineup. So the Royals need to be relying on the long ball, a as they have, as I said, third in the league. But they you don't want to get you don't want to fall in love with the long ball either. You just need to hit the you know the George Brett approach. Try to hit the ball hard up the middle. Keep it up the middle. Short. Throw the hands out and see what happens. Nice short compact swings. And the Royals relied when they won the World Series in 15 and got there in 14. I don't got to tell you about this. But, of course, the great bullpen and and pitching was part of it. The great defense is something huge. But a lot of it was their approach offensively, getting key two-out hits, staying short, quick, compact to the ball, and running. So if the Royals aren't going to be able to run anymore, they're going to have to get back to their old approach. And I I think the home runs will still be there for this team. I really do. Now, besides losing three to four home runs last night because of the conditions, I wasn't discouraged about today at all against Tyler Skaggs. I thought the Royals would hit him, as I mentioned on Thursday night. I thought they would, based on the fact that he has struggled this year. Now, with, with Shoemaker, he's struggled as well. But I, I just think is a much better major league pitcher than Tyler Skaggs. Tyler Skaggs, to me, is like Tommy Lo- Malone part two. Like, a good crafty lefty that might have a couple good years in the big leagues, but he's a fringe starter. He's a fringe MLB pitcher. Matt Shoemaker, to me, is more of a legit three, four on a good team type guy. Never thrown 200 innings in his career. So not quite a workhorse to to call him a number two. But I thought the Royals would hit Tyler Skaggs today. They didn't. But some of that also was the fact that they threw a 4A lineup out there, the Sunday afternoon lineup, a lot of backups in there who, and guys who have not consistent at bats, not, not not to bag on them, they're backup players and they haven't seen enough at bats to be in any kind of groove. But I mean, really Tyler Skaggs gets the credit today. That breaking ball was pretty damn filthy. The fastball was working. There was a healthy strike zone for both pitchers, and I thought both pitchers threw well, so I'm not frustrated at all about the offense. There's really, if you look at this overall, it's like there's only positives in the series, right? I mean, first of all, with the results, you swept, right? You had great starting pitching. The bullpen rose to the occasion. Defense looked 2015-esque out there. All over the field were great plays on defense being made. And the one thing offensively I will say was I thought Brandon Moss looked a lot better on Friday and Saturday, and that's a big deal. Brandon Moss, as we talked about Thursday night, the Royals need two of the three, Hosmer, Moss, and Gordon, to have very good to great seasons. Two of those three guys are going to have to do it along with Kane and Moose. And, and hopefully you'll get, you know, get a little protection And with Jorge Soler coming back. And you got to figure there's always going to be one guy out of the lineup with the way this team is. You know, Soler's injury-prone. Moss can at times get banged up, you know, things happen. There's probably always going to be one guy out of the lineup, but if, 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 you, if you can get these guys all healthy by the end of the year for the stretch run and keep the majority of them healthy, it's a pretty deep lineup. There's quite a bit of length in this, and hopefully Solaire will really, I mean, think how much he really lengthens out the lineup. Paulo Orlando has been very bad offensively. Had a chance to win it in the ninth, couldn't do it. I mean, he did have a big hit to break a shutout and get the Royals their only run. What, game two, I believe it was. It was a nice two-out RBI hit. But, I mean, really, it's been bad offensively. So getting Soler is going to be a big upgrade there. And that's going to lengthen the lineup, And especially if Moss starts hitting a little bit. And I think he will. I mean, you saw Brandon Moss, a great opposite field sack fly to deep left on Friday. You saw him hit a home run yesterday and just miss a second home run, the bat before, I believe it was, that was stung that's out of here in the summertime. So there were some good things offensively that happened. A huge series, a huge response for KC. They're back to 6-6 six and six and sitting at 4-2. and two. On this homestand. Now the Giants come in next, and I'm going to tell you up front here: the Royals are going to split this series, most likely. And that's all they really need to do: split this series, give yourself a five and three homestand, go back out on the road seven and seven. You've got your footing back. You can start the season over. You're back to five hundred. The hole is completely gone. And you try to get yourself a, a couple three games over five hundred going into May. That's all you gotta do. Play two or three games over five hundred every month, and you're gonna win this division. Cleveland behind the Royals now by full game. It's so early it doesn't really matter, but but it does matter. They all matter. And like I've been saying, Cleveland was never gonna run away and hide. Michael Brantley can only play every couple days, ain't the same player. May never be. Who knows? Edwin Encarnacion's been brutal. I knew he wouldn't duplicate what he did in Toronto. He'll have a good year. He's not this bad, obviously. But, I mean, you go through. you. I, I had big question marks with Cleveland, with Josh Tomlin. He's gotten lit up like a Christmas tree. Trevor Bauer is very hit or miss. And two of your best three starters were injury prone. And they missed the playoffs last year. And you got Brantley banged up. Kipnis is banged up and out. Somehow Carlos Fantana's only 31, by the way. Is that right? <laughs> I, I mistakenly in my head thought he was 36. I, I I said the other night that he's like 100 years old. I'm pretty sure he's only 31. I saw that the other day, and I and I was like, no way. How is he only 31? Was he like 14 when he came to the major leagues? Hasn't he been playing for like 17 years? I think that guy played with Carlos Baerga and Jim Tomey and Kenny Lofton back in the day, it seems like, right? Char- I think Charles Nagy was his first pitcher that he got. <laughs> was Doug Jones out there with him? Man, I I don't know that, that surprised me. Anyway, my point being, it's it you know, and I don't think Jose Ramirez is gonna duplicate last year, though he did hit two jacks yesterday. So who knows? Anyway, why are we talking about Cleveland? I'm sorry, I just get uh, I'm still a little touchy about everyone hating on the Royals so much earlier, being so negative, tweeting me all these negative things, mocking me for saying the Royals are gonna win the division. I'm still a little salty about that. So. I apologize, but I, don't, but I don't really apologize. All right, so let's look at the Giants. As we sit here right now, they're playing in about the eighth inning against the Rockies. They're 5-8 and eight playing right now, so it'll be 5-9 and nine or 6-8 and eight when they get here tomorrow. But the Rockies have struggled, and they have no buster posey, so that helps a lot. That's perhaps their best bat, most likely their best bat in the three-hole. He's gone. And also, Jarrett Parker recently broke his clav- clavicle. So, he's out for a couple of months as well. So, a rough start there for the Giants. Still a pretty good lineup. I mean, a very experienced lineup. Today, they threw out Denard Spain leading off. Brandon Belt hitting second. Hunter Pence hitting third. Brandon Crawford fourth. Nick Hundley fifth. Eduardo Nunez, we know him from uh, the Twins. And Joe Panic hitting seventh. So, one through seven, it's still a pretty good lineup. And they're going to add a DH coming into an in American League park. It's nice not having Parker or Posey in there, though. But this lineup, though, I mean, you look at it, Span, Belt, a lot of lefties. So that's good for Vargas coming up on Wednesday. You know, Belt to lefty and Crawford a lefty both struggle against left-handed pitching. N- Nunez is a switch, I believe, but you know, it's, it's Span at the top there. But, I mean, it's a, it's a good it, – that lineup without Buster Posey. With Buster Posey, that's an above-average National League lineup. Probably an average National League lineup without Buster Posey. So the Royals get them at a, at a pretty decent time. And they're going to see one guy who they should light up and one guy who will probably dominate them. Matt Cain, Madison Bumgarner are who they will be playing. So let's look at these two games. Matt Cain and Jason Hamill coming up at the K on Tuesday night. Cain comes in 1-0 with a 4.82 in the National League. So that would be like a 5.3 in the American League. And that's very consistent with what he's done the last few years. Jason Hamill for the Royals has been brutal as well. 0-1 with a six five two. Now Cain... Like I said, the last two years, albeit in like 70 innings, 90 innings, has been kind of banged up towards the end of his career, probably his last year this year. But the last two years, he's had ERAs over 5.60 both years. The Royals must win this. Well, okay, there's no must wins. Let's not over-exaggerate. The Royals should win this game, and they almost must light him up. They, They just need to do it. You know, They could get shut out. It doesn't really matter. They're fine. It's April. But they need to come out and win the damn game. Come out and hit him up the middle. Opposite field, they ought to slash this guy double after double. They ought to be able to put up five runs in five innings against Matt Cain. They should. Gave up four runs his first start to a god-awful San Diego team in four and a third at Petco Park, which is a great pitcher's park as well, and then gave up one run in five innings. It's a pretty good start against the Diamondbacks his last time out there at AT&T Park. Hamill has been the second most disappointing guy on the pitching staff next to Travis Wood, both Cubs last year. You know, we talked about it before last time, out, how frustrating it was seeing him lose to Andrew Triggs, making the league minimum, who the Royals gave up on for nothing. And then you bring in for all these million dollars for Hamill and, you know, you know the story. But and also knowing that Jason Hamill is notoriously a quick starter and finishes slow notoriously he's like unhittable the first half of the season and then falls apart in August and September so it doesn't bode well maybe maybe we're getting the opposite this year maybe he's gonna start off rough in April and then turn it on down the stretch you know who knows but hopefully he gets it going in his third start which will be against the Giants last time out was not good four runs and and, and seven hits and four and two thirds could have been much worse against the Oakland Athletics and what was the worst game of the year for the Royals on a Wednesday night so Royals need six good innings of three-run ball out of Hamill. Give me six innings, three runs, and I'll take my chances with and Soria, and Herrera going up against Matt Kane. Royals win the game 6-3 to three or 6-4 to four coming up on Tuesday night. Wednesday, meanwhile, I do not like the Royals' chances just because I feel like Madison Bumgarner is in their dome, to quote Ned Yost, the dome. Uh, we'll see, though. I'm sure we'll see a, a healthy supply of high fastballs, especially to Salvador Perez will Salvi be able to lay out the high fastball against Madison Bumgarner? I shouldn't be just picking on him because it was a whole lineup that couldn't lay out that pitch in the World Series, but it was notoriously Salvi, so <laughs> we'll see how that matchup goes. it going be very interesting. That's, that's a game you want to go to, Seven fifteen on Wednesday night. Tickets are available at Royals.com. Out, out there at the K. Nice free ninja plug for the Royals. I get nothing for that. I'm just pumping them up, man. Trying to help out ticket sales here. So, Madison Bumgarner, 0-2 at three four three. Jason Vargas, 2-0 at 0 6 Vargas, a guy that people forget about. They always talk about we got to extend Moustakis, we got to extend Hosmer and Kane and Escobar and on and on. But Jason Vargas is also pitching for a contract the last year of his deal and a great bargain that the Royals are getting him for the way he's been going so that might be a guy the Royals might want to think about trying to lock up for three years if he'd signed a three-year deal at the end of this year but that's a different topic for a different day and there's a lot of baseball to come but he's been great now Bumgarner last time out against the Rockies a quality start but for him was not good six innings allowed three runs against the Rockies and his strikeout numbers are still there strikeout 24 this year in just 21 innings has Madison Bumgarner Jason Vargas started this four-game winning streak the Royals are currently on with seven and two-thirds shutout frames against Oakland with eight Ks. I think Vargas will pitch well in this game, but it just seems like, I mean, I believe in, uh, what do you call it? Well, I believe in small sample size. I believe in regression. I believe in people being what they are. So obviously 0.6, I ain't going to keep up much longer. Vargas is hopefully a mid-threes type pitcher, so at some point soon he will get hit around for three or four runs, and I think it may be against the Giants team, but like I said at the top, there are a couple left-handed bats that are key for the Giants that don't hit real well against lefties, and, and let's face it, the teams, even if they were loading out righties against Vargas, he's been carving guys up. Oakland was pretty much all righties, and he struck out eight in that game last time out, so it has not bothered Vargas if it's right, left, doesn't matter who's in the box. He could strike out a dog right now, the way he's throwing, which also makes sense. as dogs can't swing a bat, so he should strike out a dog. All right. So I like the Royals to split against the Giants and we'll be back with you again coming up on Wednesday night I want to give some love to some people that have been tweeting me and keep them coming I love talking baseball with you at Royals Clubhouse please tweet if you listen love to hear from you at Royals Clubhouse you can also like our page on Facebook we're much more active on on uh, Twitter not you know, not too active on facebook but we do have a clubhouse conversation page on facebook and dave o at conversation.com if you're old school and don't have social media i'd love to hear from you as well that's it hope your easter was good let's hope for a split let's get out of town at least seven and seven and let's see the royals get out on the road and, and you know uh, throw some haymakers out there we'll talk to you again midweek it's dave o signing off on clubhouse conversation go royals